Welcome to Weekly Grooves. My name is Tim Houlihan. And I'm Kurt Nelson. Each week, Weekly Grooves picks a current article or news topic, and we explore it through a behavioral science lens. We dig in to help you understand the psychology behind the headline. The specific topic is current, but the insights are literally timeless. Okay, Tim, what is our topic going to be this week? Well, both of us found this article in The New Yorker by Charles Duhigg titled, Seattle's Leaders Let Scientists Take the Lead, New Yorkers Did Not. Uh, We both totally uh, got into that article, and it explores how the two cities differed in their response. It covers a lot of ground that is fascinating, but we want to explore a couple of key concepts out of it that relate to communication specifically. Right. So, I think this is going to be really interesting. Interesting. And and this article is written by Charles Duhigg, who wrote one of our favorite behavioral science books, The Power of Habit. Definitely. All right. So where do we begin, Tim? Let's start with the, the, the fact that the pandemic is a communication emergency as much as a medical crisis. Right. So uh, there's a playbook that was developed by the Epidemic Intelligence Service, which has been or the EIS, which has been around since the Korean War, has yeah. looked at epidemics and how do we handle this. And, and they, they go on and train a number of, of the scientists uh, in how to handle uh, epidemic, epidemics and, and their outbreaks and, and what they need to do, not only from the epidemiology side of things, but also from the social psychology side of things. And one of the, the tenets that they say is, uh, that was in the article, and I quote, one of the EIS's core principles is that a pandemic is a communications emergency as much as a medical crisis. Right, right. They dedicated a whole chapter in their, their playbook to communication specifically. Right. And they list out a number of factors that go into ensuring that in a in a situation like COVID-19, that you are communicating effectively because there is a big potential of miscommunication. And when you have communication errors, what ends up happening is that the behaviors that are required by the public and the people that are out there in the field doesn't always happen. And so I think we should dig into a little bit about what some of those things, one of some of the findings that they had from that field book and then how it's how it played out. What what did you find most uh, most important in this? Well, they talk a lot about various different things. One obviously big piece is trust and credibility. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that trust and credibility can greatly influence the ability to persuade affected persons. Uh, when you think about this, one of the things that they talk about is that there should be a lead spokesperson whom the public gets to know that familiarity breeds trust. And very specifically, they talk about that person should be a scientist. And we'll talk about that a a little bit uh, later. But this familiarity and this trust aspect, I think, is really important. It really is. And when when I think about uh, my personal experience of of looking at the TV and seeing different uh, leaders talk about about this stuff, the most credible ones do end up being scientists because Mm -hmm. this is a, a, a medical issue. And so I want to hear that information from the scientists first and foremost. And it's not that the political leaders don't weigh in, I mean, because the consequences are 
political and all those kinds of things. But I, but uh, Dr. Fauci has been one of those guys that has risen to the top with with this trust and credibility factor really high. Yeah, and he has that scientific uh, air about him. I think that lends it to to that. The article talks about the difference that Seattle took versus New York, where Seattle, yes, they had the politicians talk, but they really let most of the the conversations be led by uh, a scientist or a, a two scientists, I believe. Yeah. Whereas New York, they they definitely called out. You know, they had Andy. Uh, Kumo, the the governor versus the mayor of New York, De Brasio, and they they called out one news where they actually got almost in this little pissy contest, and and this idea of who's right and who's wrong, and not not having that familiarity and various different things, I think, uh, and the trust around that is important. Yeah, some of the backwards infighting in uh, in New York also decreased trust and credibility in all of their messages. Right. And so that leads to the second piece of this, which is the messenger effect, right? We've talked about the messenger effect on other episodes of, of, of this, but as well as uh, behavioral grooves, where the person who is communicating actually plays a big role in how people view the information that they are communicating. In this case, we talked about the idea of having a lead spokesperson, and that lead spokesperson should be a scientist, because partially when you have a political person who is leading and communicating that, given the polarized area of times that we're in, 50% of the population may tune them out just because of who they are, not because the information that they're saying is wrong, but because we can't get over that tribalism that we have, that us versus them. Right. And and, uh, Seattle did a great job of this, right? Seattle did a great job of making sure that the messengers were scientists, uh, that were reliable, that were credible. Getting back to the first two things, the messenger uh, was really, really strong. Uh, Compared to New York, there was this infighting. It was more political. And of course, when it's political, we're going to have half the population or at least a large portion of the population tend to discredit the message because of the messenger. Right. We have that motivated reasoning. We have this tribalism that they are the other and it is not part of our in-group. And thus, we need to look at it through a different lens and we don't hold that as credible. We don't trust that as much or we trust it overly because it comes from somebody who is within our tribe and we don't think uh, critically about it. Scientists hopefully are neutral. Now, again, we can have a whole debate over whether or not scientists are, are neutral in today environment as well, but they are more neutral than politicians. And so that was one of the the aspects that they recommended from the pandemic playbook. Yeah. The third key uh, element that I think we should talk about is about consistency and persuasiveness of the message. And this really really struck me when I I thought about uh, the way Charles Duhigg expressed the the changing number of players who were in the conference room as uh, the federal government was presenting their story. So we, we got to see Pence. We got to see Trump. We got to see Fauci. We got to see Kushner. We got to see Burt. We got to see a lot of different people. And that actually didn't help. That inconsistency of of both the speakers and the the messengers and the messages that they were giving tended to create a sense of um, a lack of confidence and uh, confusion uh, on listeners. 
And and it's really interesting because one of the things they they talk about is that you know the science shifts in these, and so you have to be thinking about how that message is changing. But what uh, Charles Duhigg pointed out is that the messages we were getting from the federal government shifted almost daily and right. it wasn't based on science it was based on whims and they were actually conflicting messages of no don't do this yes do that uh you know a week later or this is not a big deal versus this is a huge deal versus this will be done in two weeks versus this will go on for a long time and so all of those conflicting right. messages from different people come in and it just causes a lack of trust and it causes confusion in people. And we know that we don't work well when we're confused and when we don't trust. The fourth thing that we need to make sure that we, we cover from this article was about timing and the shifting percep perception. How are we going to overcome the status quo bias, right? right. This, is a, this is a big damn problem. Right. And, and, so one of the pieces of the playbook that they talk about and, and Charles brings up is that epidemiologists also must learn how to maintain their persuasiveness even as their advice shifts. This goes back to as we learn more, the advice that we might have had last week may shift. Right, right. And so we have to be concerned about this. The other piece that I thought was really fascinating uh, and what they were talking about what they did in Seattle is knowing that they have to be persuasive to get people to change. But the impact at that point where the, the scientists got involved, uh, the rest of the population didn't realize how severe this was and really weren't in a place to be able to say, yes, we need to shelter at home. We need to do these things. So they had to think uh, about what uh, the messages today that would impact how people behave tomorrow and what is the message tomorrow and the day after. So you're planting seeds of messages today that may not be exactly what you want people to do, but you're doing it so that by tomorrow or the day after that, or by the end of the week, you have moved the, the perception in the population to a point where they are now at this part where, yes, they will accept the recommendations that you're making. We are reason-seeking machines. And to come into the uh, public sphere with something that doesn't make any sense to us, with if there's no sense making on the, on the part of the public to an, uh, an announcement that's been made, we're not going to follow it. It's, you know, if, if we can't make sense of it, we're just not going to adhere to it. Um, and we've we've talked about this actually uh, off, offline quite a bit about how a lot of us see people who are out of work. And so the financial side of the of the crisis is, is salient. But we very few of us know people who have actually been impacted directly. There's mm. a small percentage of the population. So the actual medical impact is less salient. Yes. So, so something to think about there. And so you have to build that communication message and think about not just the message that goes out today, but the message that is going to go out tomorrow and next week. And one of the pieces that they talk about is don't overpromise. That's a key point from this playbook. Yeah. Like, uh, explore some do's and don'ts, but don't promise that, well, this will be done in three weeks if you do not know that it will be done in three weeks. Because when three weeks comes up, and it's not done, it's not over, yeah. you have just lost everybody that 
you know, might have believed in you because now they're saying, well, they promised it would be done and it's not. And that goes a long way in thinking through how that communication strategy uh, takes place. Okay, quickly, uh, what about the social aspects? Well, again, they they bring up a really good part in this article about the difference, not necessarily the difference, but what one thing that Seattle did was they reached out to uh, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, before all of this really hit. And they, they had a conversation with him and really they got him on board, which uh, then he had his employees work from home. And I think they did the same thing with Amazon. It would made everything real for people. Um, and there was now the a hundred thousand people that weren't driving into work. Yeah. And, and, and that makes a difference in Seattle traffic. It know? makes a big difference in Seattle traffic. So people notice that. And so now it, there's a descriptive norm that is actually happening. Yeah. And you brought up, uh, as we were talking about this earlier, uh, you know, Christina Bicchieri always talks about the reference network. And so within Seattle, that's a pretty big reference network of people working from home that even before the order went in from the city itself, that these companies were doing it. Yeah, and they probably, if you live in the Seattle area, you probably know someone that works at Microsoft or Amazon. And so that becomes uh, influential in how we process things like, oh, it's that bad. The people at, at Microsoft and Amazon, they're staying home. So maybe I should be staying home. All right, so let's recap this. Okay, so during the time of crisis, a pandemic or other significant negative event, it is a communication emergency as much as it is a health or other emergency. Good communication practices should be adhered to to limit the negative impact of the event. Trust and credibility are key. The spokesperson should be a scientist or other expert and not a politician. While politicians have roles, they are also polarizing figures, and oftentimes half of the population will not trust or follow their directions. Who tells the message of the crisis is often as important as the message itself. Additionally, there is a need for consistency in the message. Changing and or conflicting messages end up confusing and just creating mistrust. People start to ignore the message. And this can be difficult in a pandemic as new information and new guidelines happen because we learn new things all the time. And whomever is communicating this needs to be persuasive in outlining why these changes are happening. Finally, the communication needs to focus not just on today, but on tomorrow and the future as well. Understanding the behavioral dynamics and how likely people are going to listen to your message are important. It may require the communication to be structured such that it builds upon itself and leads people down a path to do the right behaviors in the future. Well, this wraps up the Weekly Grooves. We appreciate you listening and hope that you've enjoyed this and found it useful. And if you did like it, please share it with a friend and leave us a quick review. We so appreciate you listening. Now go out and have a great week.